Web Services. Welcome to the Cloud and Out podcast. We are your hosts, Andreas and Michael Wittig. This podcast is all about AWS and we share our insights in our day-to-day -day work with AWS. This is episode number 68 and we are recording this on January 2023. So in case you're watching this live on YouTube, feel free to um, send us your questions in the chat and we will answer them at the end of the uh, stream. Besides that, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, feel free to send us an email or reach us on Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever you can find us. Okay, and before we start, here's a message from our partner. Are you looking for a new job? AWS expertise is in high demand. Our partner Demikon is looking for a cloud operations lead working remotely from Germany or the EU. Lead a growing team of cloud architects and DevOps engineers. And if that sounds interesting, then this is for you. So manage service delivery, hire new team members, uh, stuff like that. Demican is one of the largest technical consulting teams and leading Atlassian full service providers here in Germany. Uh, so join Demican building their new business unit with a focus on cloud technologies. You will find uh, all you need uh, in the video description and the show notes. So check it out. And if that's for you, apply today. So let's start uh, with uh, what we uh, did uh, last week. And um, I will start with one thing that is not too much AWS related. It was still important for us. So uh, we uh, celebrate years uh, of uh, being in business, basically, as AWS consultants. And... I can like maybe share a little bit of the story. Uh, so when we started um, uh, the company eight years ago, we had basically no idea that this AWS thing will work so well. So that's why we started with um, three, um, I think, pillars. Uh, so we had AWS consulting in mind. We had mobile app development in mind, as well as web development. So those were our three areas where we had expertise. And we, we didn't know yet uh, which of those areas are in most demand, basically. But and there's, we quickly figured out that AWS consulting is the, the thing that we should focus on, right? So I think very quickly we, we focused on that uh, area. So that included um, writing the book. That also included um, Cloud.io, our blog that we um, um hosted um, at that time as well already and also working with clients uh, so this was uh, for quite a long time our uh, main focus and then we also tried uh, quite from the beginning but not um, very successful to be honest uh, to um, create products uh, so we started a couple of things uh, we uh, also closed uh, lots of them <laughs> before uh, or like a couple of years then later but uh, today, um, we, we don't do much AWS consulting anymore as well. So what we do now is we create products that are somehow related to AWS. So for example, we have BucketAV, which is an antivirus solution for MS3, Marbot, which is an editoring solution for uh, AWS, uh, using Microsoft Teams as the interface. Of course, we also have Cloud Outblock, the YouTube channel, um, which we still um, update and, and add new on. Uh, this is now for going on for eight years. That's kind of story. And, and 
the first time that we celebrated uh, our anniversary. <laughs> this was the first time we did it, yeah. Yeah, and maybe, maybe I think one thing that is uh, very interesting of the story, because from the beginning we did consulting, and this was basically the thing to to um, yeah to get the cash flow uh, up and running. Uh, but always our goal was um, to build and sell um, software products. And so over time, we always try to dedicate twenty or maybe a little more of our time uh, to to build things instead of doing consulting work only. And it took us about seven years until this worked out and and nowadays we have transitioned from consulting to to software products which is uh really cool and i enjoy it a lot yeah so michael up to the next eight years i would say <laughs> and um <laughs> let's continue with uh, more uh, aws relevant topics um so michael um a few weeks ago I was frustrated because uh, I tried to upload a huge amount of data from my external disk to S3. Because over the past month, we have been recording um, a lot of video content. So especially our weekly show is uh, just adding every week, I don't know, a few, a few hundred gigabytes to my, to my disk. And so I wanted to archive that data to get rid of it because probably I will never use it anymore. Uh, but I, I don't want to throw it away because I might want to edit some things later or stuff like that. Uh, so I wanted to upload it to S3. But it turned out that doing so is really um, frustrating. Uh, I tried to upload it with the AWS CLI. And then, I don't know, things like my internet connectivity... Uh, resets every day uh, or uh, my credentials from AWS SSO are only valid for I think it's 12 hours and stuff like that. So uh, long story short, it was really a nightmare to upload all that data and I was frustrated about that. So I decided, oh, let me order a uh, so-called AWS snow cone. And um, the snow cone, Michael, is uh, it's a device of the size of a tissue box, I would say. Um, and um, you can use it to upload data to um, S3. Um, so um, that's basically how it works. So the Snowball, uh, I think, was the first device that AWS um, launched. And then later, they announced a smaller uh, one, the Snow Cone. And so I ordered uh, such a snow cone device. So it's very simple. You go to the AWS management console, uh, create a so-called uh, job in the snow family service. And then uh, basically by doing so, you order the snow cone device. Then UPS arrived at my door uh, and uh, handed over the snow cone. Um, and uh, then I, yeah, I tried to get <laughs> it connected to my uh, MacBook. So basically what you have to do is you have to unlock the device, you mount an NFS share, and then you use NFS to, to transfer your data to the device. Um, so this was uh, what I've been doing. Um, yeah, and so um, actually this was a, a really fun uh, thing because I uploaded, uh, I think it was around a terabyte of data which I uploaded to the snow cone device. So a lot of data laying around on my external disk. I moved it to the snow cone over an ethernet connection, which was very fast. Um, then I dropped it off at the UPS shop nearby. And two days or uh, two or three days later, um, uh, it arrived at the AWS data center in Ireland. And then uh, AWS copied uh, the data from the device to the S3 bucket, uh, as you as you imagine, so very flawless. 
And now the data is uh, archived on S3 and um, there in case we need it or, <laughs> or just laying around if you don't need it. <laughs> uh, but my external disk is now uh, free for uh, future recordings, which, which I enjoy a lot. So yeah, I think um, um, I never had a use case for it. Uh, and I'm happy that now I had. <laughs> uh, it was it was fun. Maybe um, um, one thing that I didn't expect or I didn't thought about is so this whole thing uh, costs. So ordering the smallest snow cone device um, is um, sixty dollars for the job, and I think there is included is five days of the snow cone device being on site at our place, and. Uh, but the AWS pricing page uh, says plus shipping. <laughs> and actually, there was no information about how much shipping will cost. And what I didn't think about is uh, that because I ordered the device um, to in the region Ireland, uh, I think the device came from Ireland and was sent back to Ireland. And um, the data was imported there. Uh, so shipping was, uh, compared to the $60 for the device, quite expensive. So around $90 for shipping the device from Germany to Ireland and back and forth. Um, so that's at least what we see on our AWS bill. Um, so yeah, maybe when I do it next time, it would make more sense to, to upload the data to a bucket in Frankfurt, which is much closer to where, to where <laughs> we are located. Um, yeah, but other than that, I think um, this was really cool. Uh, I will definitely do it again. And um, I recorded a how-to video, how to use AWS Snowcone to upload data to S3. So I will release that later today. And uh, if you're interested in the details and how to do that, uh, check that out. I, I know that this is how it works, but it's still, it's kind of crazy. So the, the device itself is not packaged in any way. So they send the device as as it is to you. So there's no packaging around it so that's really cool so the yeah so uh, you, i think you mentioned that the the ups um um, um person uh, was was really also surprised about what he shipped to you here <laughs> because it looks quite cool yeah <laughs> that's true yeah yeah he wanted to know what what this is all about yeah yeah i think it's really cool that the whole process seems to be um very very streamlined automated probably uh, in many ways um yeah. so yeah really cool stuff all right. So, Andreas, I have, I have, uh, I worked on something uh, that I want to share as well, and it's related to the SSM agent. So, what we do is um, we have a very few EC2 instances running, but we have a few running. And what we do there is we uh, use the SSM agent, like we have the SSM agent installed on those devices, and then we use what is called SSM patch manager, which is basically I would say a maintenance window that triggers a document that then installs patches according to a default patch baseline that AWS defines. Okay, so so that 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 was working very well for a very long time, and and out of a sudden, a couple of months ago, this uh, maintenance window was failing, and we received alerts in Marbot, and because it was an like an event uh, bridge event was sent out, and Marbot catches that and forwards to our Slack channel, and and I was kind of wondering okay what's going on here and i first problem is there is like the locks are really it's not so easy to actually get the locks so by default you you see some locks in the ui in the aws ssm ui but they are truncated after i don't know how many um, characters 
The problem is with the patch manager document, it really, it dumps out a lot of not important stuff. So that basically everything that's important is truncated. And because there's so much um, stuff that, that is printed out before. So I had to first figure out how to get access to the locks. And then it turns out there are basically two ways. You can configure it in a way that it locks to an S3 bucket or to a, a CloudWatch locks, um, a locks uh, stream. So I did that and I looked into the lock stream and I still couldn't find any information why it's not working. I mean, I could see there is something going on, but I couldn't see why it's failing. And and then I, I was frustrated and I, I, okay, I just closed the alert and said, okay, maybe this will go away uh, automatically uh, in the same way that it appeared. But of course it didn't, right? So next week, because it runs every week, I received the same alert and then I, I just, okay, I just closed it. I was not interested in looking at it again. And then again and again and again. And and, and suddenly last week, um, oh no, this week actually, on I think it was on Monday, I looked into the locks once again. And this time I was more lucky because I saw something that sat out of memory. And I think I never saw that before because and uh, the agent basically always crashed before it could ship the locks. <laughs> but this time, for some reasons, I was lucky. And I saw that this is related to memory. And turns out that the instance is a very tiny one. It's a T3 nano instance. So it has, I think, half a gig of memory. So what I did is I created a swap file. I, I mounted a swap file, like a one gigabyte swap file. And then uh, it's working again. So basically what they did is for some reasons, I don't know if they updated the SSM agent or if just the patch manager thing is, is growing and growing and growing. But for some reasons, um, we were running out of memory and that's why it was not working anymore. And we couldn't see that it was running out of memory because the lock was not shipped anymore because there was no memory anymore and the process died. Yeah, so that's it, Andreas. Um, I finally fixed it and I hope we have now uh, an up-to-date EC2 instance <laughs> for the next couple of years without any further uh, debugging uh, from my side. And I will share the, I, I can share the commands to create such a small file because it's kind of, we use it in, in a couple of places. So um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not very performant yeah. or anything, but it's just like, it's a quick fix. And, and sometimes it just helps you um, to, to get the job done. Yeah. So I will share the commands mm -hmm. in, in, the, in the description after, after the recording. Uh, yeah, so, Michael, so I have one more thing for this week. Um, so uh, last week I was working on some Terraform code. And um, actually, um, I stumbled upon something that I, I just didn't know about. So so I had the issue that I was using the um, Terraform AWS module for a VPC that Anton is um, maintaining. And there, uh, Anton, some 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 way in the in the past, Anton moved that thing to a submodule. So this is a, a submodule, a submodule Terraform module, that you can use to create those VPC endpoints. And basically, the module expects a map uh, for all the VPC endpoints that you want to create. So I don't know. The key is, for example, S3, and then. Uh, you have properties in there for um, uh, specifying the details for the VPC endpoint. And um, I was um, working on, on uh, basically a template or a, another Terraform module acting as a wrapper for the VPC uh, module to make sure uh, it is used in a streamlined way for an organization. So basically that it fits into the whole VPC networking setup in this enterprise context. And... Um, 
uh, I try to basically generate those VPC endpoints out of a list. So I just wanted to have a list of the VPC endpoint services that I want to activate, and then I wanted to generate this map structure out of it. And I was struggling with that and uh, trying things out. And then I found that Terraform actually uh, supports a for expression. So basically, you can build for loops inside the Terraform configuration code. It, it's maybe so to me it was a little counterintuitive because yeah Terraform is that declarative language and I didn't expect that I can do full loops in just in my configuration code basically um, but it yeah it actually works uh, very well so I will put a link uh, in the in the show notes and video description. Um, so in case uh, you are stumbling upon uh, things where you want to iterate over a list and build more complex uh, structures out of that that's really handy uh, and I was able to achieve my goal and um, on a more general level uh, I think the interesting observation um, that I uh, or that uh, the realization I made is that Terraform is actually um, so when you compare it to CloudFormation which is really most of the time really straightforward it's just the, the YAML or the JSON and there are not too many uh, things are similar to a programming language in there, right? Um, but uh, I think Terraform is going um, or has many aspects of a, I would say, a real programming language. And that's maybe, uh, I think that is that is kind of interesting. So actually, Terraform is maybe something, a mixture of <laughs> what we have with CloudFormation and what we have with the CDK. Uh, and I think the interesting thing maybe is um, that it's easy to use for those who are not familiar with programming, um, but it also has that capabilities for those who are familiar with for loops and stuff like that and can do uh, more advanced stuff uh, with Terraform. So I found that um, yeah, an interesting uh, observation. Okay, Michael, so I think um, that's it for this week. Or do you have anything else on your agenda? No, that's it. That's that's all I I I, I learned, and I kind of uh, I mean the problem is also I have also to take notes that I don't forget about it um, <laughs> before the weekend. So yeah, that that's all I have uh, actually uh, on my list. <laughs> Very cool. So we will be back next week. In the meantime, subscribe to your newsletter, podcast, or YouTube channel to make sure you're not missing the upcoming shows. Yes, and also we thank our uh, supporters uh, who make this uh, basically possible. Uh, so if you uh, enjoy our um, podcast or the videos, then please consider supporting our work. And you can, um, um, we, we support recurring or one-time donations. And it really helps us to, to keep this thing going. And it also motivates us greatly that we see so many supporters already. So it's really cool. You will find the details in, in, the, in, the, in the show notes uh, as well. All right. Thanks for your uh, attention and, and your comment as well. So I hope you learned something and at least uh, you can avoid the high uh, shipping costs when you uh, order your snow uh, cone or snowball device. I don't know about the, the truck, actually, Andreas. I don't know how much shipping that costs, but <laughs> maybe you should uh, actually ask someone before you order it. <laughs> so it could be expensive. So yeah, I think that that's it, right, Andreas? So have a great day. Uh, bye. Bye.